Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. 50 years, and then there was a big gap, and then, and then they had another two. Um, so my uncle John celebrated his 70th birthday this year, and uh, so not that far in front of me, and uh, he used to take his uh, cycling and running and swimming and all those things. And even now, uh, I can't call him John. I still call him Uncle John. And when I put it on his card, it, you know, uh, it's just a sort of a respect. But I remember him saying numbers of years ago uh, at a New Year's uh, Eve family gathering, he says, he says uh, he's, he's very uh, outward. Uh, he decided uh, that he wouldn't be a believer. And uh, the catalyst for faith in our family was my grandma. Uh, she moved from Lancashire, um, from Wigan, uh, post-war with granddad, ever before Norman Tebbit told people to go on the bike, they got on their bike and uh, they looked for work and they came to Nottingham. And uh, in the early 50s, out of a church plant, Christian, my grandma got wonderfully born again. And when she got saved, she got saved. There was a complete turnaround. In a pomp, she was the best personal evangelist I've ever come across uh, because with humour and uh, with using a thousand words when one would do, she, she would... Um, she would not only talk about church, but she would challenge people with Jesus. And, um, and uh, she became a catalyst for faith. Not all my family are believers, but the reality is that Psalm 145 says that one generation commends your works to another and they tell of your mighty acts. And this afternoon, our little ones, that's our little grandchildren, are on the, some, two of them are on the way from Manchester now. The other one's in Sherwood. We're going to meet up this afternoon. That is the fifth generation from somebody making a decision to follow Jesus. And some of you became the first person in your family to be ever become a Christian, but it's going to go and go and go and go. And it's amazing uh, what God can do. Anyway, back to Uncle John. He's at a big carol service in the village where he lived, and his daughter was high up in the guides, and the guides of the Boers Brigade were there. He says there were 300 people, Phil, the vicar got up, he says, I was, I was ready for the gospel. He's not a believer. The gospel, by the way, is simply another word for good news. I was ready for the gospel. He said, he blew it. He absolutely blew it. I don't know what he was talking about, but he didn't give us the gospel. I've always remembered it. And uh, when Christian and the team are plotting the Christmas season, what we want to do every time is to give people an opportunity to hear the good news. We've tried to do it simply. We've tried to do it briefly. And uh, we've tried to do it in various sorts of ways. But what an opportunity uh, to give the good news. And that's what I'm going to try and do again this morning. I don't want you to go away, hopefully, say he blew it. He didn't give us what we wanted. So the message is called The Great Invitation. I'm going to read a few verses from uh, Luke's Gospel from the Message Bible and then just tie it up with a verse from what we would call the Christmas story. And perhaps you'll just listen. It says, Jesus said, there was once a man who threw a great party and invited many people. When it was time for dinner, he sent out his servants to the invited guests saying, come in, the food's ready on the table. But they all began to call off one after another, making excuses. The first said, I bought a piece of property and it needs to be looked over. I send my regrets. Another said, I have a team of five oxen and I really need to check them out. I send my regrets. Another said, I've just got married and need to get home to my wife. I send my regrets. The servant went back to his master who had, uh, about what had happened and he was outraged and told the servant 
Quickly get into the city streets and the alleys and call all who look like they need a square meal, all the misfits and the homeless and the wretched you can lay your hands on and bring them here. The servant reported back, Master, I did what you commanded and there's still room. The master said, then go to the country roads, wherever you can find them, drag them in. I want my house full. Let them tell you not one of those that was originally invited is going to get so much as a bite at my dinner party. And Matthew 1.21, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So I want to talk for a few moments about the great invitation, the very essence, again, of why we celebrate Christmas. I love the the breadth of the Christmas story. I love the fact that uh, the Sophisticats came from the East called Wise Men, probably a, a, a caravan. That, that word's been in our minds again, not one that you pull, you know, you get stuck behind on those Lincolnshire roads in summer and it tests your sanctification. No, I'm talking about a, a people group. There's a caravan going up to that wall in America. I'm not getting involved, but it's on its way, you know. Um, but a caravan coming from the East, and three gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh presented at the feet of Jesus. They bowed down and worshipped. But not only a sophisticated group of thinkers, but also wise men on the fields. I was listening to a preacher just this week speaking about the Christmas story. And I was even taken aback that maybe I have underestimated how lowly in society the shepherds were. See, I've described him in something I wrote for Weekly News as the working class guys on the side of the hill trying to eke out a living. But maybe uh, in terms of Eastern culture, they're even lower than that. Almost certainly on zero hour contracts. And there they were. The angels appeared to the lowly people and said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. And that is the good news, friends. Wherever we are in society, whether we seem to have been successful in this world or otherwise, the good news is for all the people. And the invitation to the party is exactly the same. And maybe this Christmas time you've had invites to parties. It may be going into next year you've had somebody uh, invite you to a wedding. We got to save the date through just a few days ago from one of my nephews, Stefan, who's getting married next year. An invite to the party. I understand that communication's changed. I understand now that people don't send Christmas cards in the same way that they used to. And uh, there's texts and there's WhatsApp and all of these things. I'll tell you one thing I really don't like. It's an e-card. I, you know, because you press it and then you get a funny... You know, I, you know, and it never gets to the end. Thank you, boom, move on. I don't like e-cards, okay? But I, I, but I understand that communication has changed. But the reality is that the post office will tell you that at this time of year, there's still millions of letters and parcels going through their departments. So the guys down at Beeston would have been working flat out right into Christmas Eve and in Derby to get all the letters out in time. And uh, is there anybody here that's ever worked for the post office? Even seasonal? Oh, okay. <laughs> Is there anybody who'd like to help me for a moment? There's no, re- no, there's, no, there's no reward today. You're just going to have to come and help me. Anybody like to, any one of the boys and girls like just to come and help me? I'm just going to ask you to do something. Right. Somebody that's not been out yet. Okay. Somebody that's not been out yet. 
Thank you. All right, Tom, come on then. You see, we've got a letter this morning, and it's from heaven. The postmark's from heaven. And it says, to a sinner lost laying earth. And, uh, and the post have been very good because they, they made sure that we got it here at Arena Church on, on this particular morning. Tom, all I want you to do is open the letter, and there's a little message inside. There's no reward today. There really isn't. There's no chocolate. Okay, you're doing this for free. You're doing this in grace. <laughs> right. I'll take that. Can you read that nice and loud, please, like you did the other day, right? To a sinner, welcome to my party from Jesus. R-S-V-P. Thank you. Give me a clap. Thank you. So the letter is to a sinner, welcome to my party from Jesus, RSVP. You don't get that so much nowadays because, again, even invites are communicated. But if you're as old as me, you used to get invites through cards and it would have RSVP on the bottom. French, respond, respond civilly. If you would please, please send a response and normally by a particular time. People are planning for a catering for a wedding. And uh, people are planning for a special occasion. They want to know if you are coming. And in the story that we read, uh, the the man sends out uh, uh, a reminder to the people that he'd already invited to the party and was expecting to come. And they made their excuses. And so the invite went wide and far because he wanted the place where the party was taking place to be full. I don't get it at times when people give the impression that God doesn't want people to be in the church. And some churches do everything to keep people there. But the reality is, friends, that the invite's far and wide. And God wants the party table to be full. Will you respond, please? In Luke's gospel, it says that there was a young man that was lost. And in the culture of the day, the the ignominy, the disgrace of a Jewish boy having to survive on the on the the uh, the tusks of the pigs he, he, jesus used exaggeration at times to get the story across and he said i'm going to go back to my father but i'm no longer worthy to be called a son i'll just say i'm a servant but dad was looking for him and recognized the silhouette and uh, ran towards him and threw his arms around him robed him put shoes on his feet ring on his finger all highly symbolic of acceptance and restoration and they had a party once my Son was lost, but now he's found. Once he was dead, but now he's alive. The Bible says that when people respond to Jesus, as they've done over this Christmas season, there's a party in heaven. Oh, God loves parties. And so this morning, as we receive afresh the invitation to the party that Jesus has called every one of us to, do we make excuses and give our regrets? Or do we seek to make a response to him? Can I suggest that we make a response in three ways? Number one, we make a response that is personal. Someone said to me years ago, God's got no grandchildren in heaven. And he hasn't. And you may have been a boy, a girl, a young person. You've come to church with your mum and dad. You like coming. You like everything that happens. You love this day coming out with Christian and all the things that take place. Little sort of traditions that are part of Arena Church. But the reality is you have to make your own decision to follow Jesus. 
It may be that you've been coming to church and you've been coming to church because there's been a, an example that's wafted over you from a, an uncle, an auntie, a grandma, a granddad, a mum or dad. But you have to come to a personal place of making your decision. No grandchildren, but lots and lots of sons and daughters that follow the Lord. And then the response needs to be meaningful, not just lip service, but God says that if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. And out of the heart come the issues of life. Not that uh, very important human organ that keeps the blood flowing around our veins and keeps us alive. But the very essence of who we are, a meaningful decision right from the inner core of our being to say Jesus will follow you. And then thirdly, it needs to be punctual. You'll forgive me if I'm on this Christmas morning going to be a little bit somber for a moment. I'm trying to make a point. But in 2 Corinthians 6 and 2, it says, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And so often we can leave our response. We can ignore the RSVP from heaven and say that we'll leave it to another time let me say this every season of your life will draw on you a temptation not to respond well I'm a young person I want to enjoy myself well I want to get a mortgage and get married well I want to have kids uh, well I want, I want to think about my pension oh well I want to every season every season every season it'll keep cropping up keep cropping up I'm talking to Anna and Neil just before the service started about seasons and discerning them and navigating them well and they're forever changing And every season of your life will give you an opportunity to push back on the punctuality of your response. I encourage you this morning not to do it. Now, I'm 63 and uh, you begin to be a little bit more aware of your mortality. I'm watching Sports Personality of the Year the other Sunday night. The thing that impacted me was the obituary part when the girl was playing the piano And I began to think about the punctuality of our response. We all think we're going to be here forever. There was no fitter 77-year-old than Lord Ashdown. But two months ago, he found he got got cancer and he's in eternity. And so I began to think this year, Dale Winton, who began his career just down the road at BBC Radio Nottingham, 62. Eric Bristow was a decent darts player in his time, 60. Emma Chambers... A vicar of Dibley fame. She was the one that made Dawn French look good. 53. One of my footballing heroes, Cyril Regis, 60. Wow. Now's the accepted time. Now's the day of salvation. Proverbs 27.1 says we can't even boast of tomorrow. Can't even boast of tomorrow. I was reading the post this week. And uh, I read this terribly sad story of two students coming from Nottingham Trent University that just finished term going over the Woodhead Pass. Now, we've so got to know the Woodhead Pass to our sojourns to Manchester in recent years. And on a summer's day, whoo, it's beautiful. But last week when that freezing rain was coming down, there's not a worse place to drive. Something took place and two young ladies in their early 20s ushered into eternity. So sad. So this morning, friends, in this joyous welcoming of Christ on this wonderful Christmas morn, 
There's a somber challenge. And this morning, God opens up again the opportunity for us to receive the invitation. I ask you to do it personally, meaningfully, and punctually. Can I close by just encouraging every believer here this week and this coming year to be a person that is ready to give the invitation. See, God uses people. And often he uses you to bring an invitation to people. Now, people say no. So there are those of us that have put invitations out for folks to come to the Christmas services. And they've said no. But one of my sales managers, when I was working bivocationally, used to say to me, Phil, in the sea of no's, up mobs a yes. And this year, I'm believing that people are going to say yes to the invitation. I'm going to read an illustration to you. Those of you that were at the leadership track, the other week, and we were talking about communication. Well, forgive me if I reread this. I'm going to try and make a better job of it this morning than I did there. But when I read this first off, I was incredibly impacted. I read it in my living room. There were tears rolling down my cheeks. It was a sort of God getting hold of a guy that didn't have a hope, that somebody invited him, and it changed his life forever. I understand that we're living in different days, so don't go to the safeguarding issue or anything like that. Just read the innocence, listen to the innocence of the story. And see how an invitation can change somebody forever. So the story's from Rob Parsons. Rob leads Care for the Family. And uh, this year they're celebrating a special move into purpose-built offices. And here's the story of Rob Parsons from a council estate in Cardiff. And how God touched his life through an invitation. He said, I was 15, I was about to drop out of school. And for good reason, in my school report, my form teacher had written, he is making no use of what little ability he has. Oh, didn't they used to boy in those days? And I've decided that the little church on the corner of my street where I'd gone to Sunday school was too boring for somebody like me who actually wanted to be a pop star. One day I was walking down the street and an older man I knew from church came up to me. His name was Arthur Tovey. Arthur and Margaret were poor. They lived in two rooms in his mother's house. They were told they could never have children of their own. And Arthur didn't have an educational qualification to his name. But this couple loved kids. And Arthur said, Robert, next Wednesday, Margaret and I are starting a Bible study in our group for te- in our home for teens. We'd love you to come, the invite. When all you want to do is to go on stage at Vegas and have girls scream at you, a Bible study on a Wednesday night isn't the most attractive of offers. But for some reason, I said yes. And so it began. Six of us gathering every Wednesday night in one of Arthur and Margaret's living rooms. We were cramped together and listened to Arthur talk about God, faith, and how every one of us got a purpose in life. He knew that we might get bored quickly, so he made a makeshift table tennis table. The room was tiny, and we played with bats up against our, che- our chest. And every week, he took us to buy fish and chips. And by the time we got to the house, back to the house, laden with cod and fries, Margaret had the tea brewing. When I walked into that home, they made me feel like a king. The memory of that will stay with me forever. They told us that we all mattered to God, that we were special. And he'd given each of us a gift. One day, Arthur asked if I'd ever took part in debates at school. I told him I didn't put my hand up in class, never mind speaking debates. But he said, I think God's given you a gift of public speaking, Robert. And I want to help you to develop it. That wasn't an encouraging prospect, not least because Arthur was the worst public speaker I'd ever heard. He told me to give talks to children and adults. And gradually my confidence grew. And one night I was at an event. And I was speaking. 
A lawyer at the back was listening and at the end of the evening he offered me a job that included funding me through university. I went home and told my dad. My dad says, people like us don't become lawyers. But I did. And I often wondered how different life would have been without that encounter in the street with Arthur. Subsequently, I became a senior partner in a legal practice and found myself talking to lawyers in locations such as the Hilton on Park Avenue. I still think that hotel's pretty fancy, but when to a young man who'd never lived in a house with an inside toilet, it seemed unbelievably grand. Years later, I was being interviewed on the radio in the US about one of my books. And as a surprise, the producers got Arthur on the phone from his house in Cardiff. The presenter said, what do you think of the boy now that used to be in the Bible class? The phone went quiet. And then Arthur said, I'm proud of him. Rob said, I cried on air. Arthur died some years later. And the last time I went to visit him in hospital, he was barely conscious, but I sensed he knew I was there and I was conscious it was the last time I would see him on earth. So I leant over and whispered in his ear, thank you, Arthur. You changed my life, and I kissed him. On the surface, Arthur and Margaret appeared to have little going for him. Yet the Tophies were rich indeed, and they used what little they had to change the lives of others. If it were not for Arthur and his wife, Diane and I would never have gone on the road 30 years ago of our first Marriage Matters seminars, talking to other people about marriage and parenting, and all the incredible work that God has done through Care for the Family during this time. The initiatives we've had, the privileges of setting up and the difference that we've made to people's lives, I believe in so many ways began with the invitation that Arthur Tovey gave me for that Wednesday night meeting. Until 24 hours ago, as they think of opening their new purpose-built building, I had honestly hoped that Margaret would be at the opening, but I've just received the news that she's passed away. Her last words were, I'm very tired, I'd like to see Arthur now. Of course, I'm saddened that she won't be there, but the new building honours these two people's lives. It will be called Toby House because I'm proud of them. It touched me because I'm a working class lad from a council estate in Nottingham, the seven eldest of seven kids. There's no earthly reason that I should have the privilege on this Christmas morning of bringing the word that somebody gave an invitation to my grandma and the rest is history. And this morning, the invitation rings out again to everybody here. And if you've never received Jesus, we believe it's the best decision that you can ever make in your life. And every week of every month of all the year, we're very intentional, Christian, me, the leadership team, of giving people an opportunity to respond. And this Christmas time, we've done it a little differently. But even on Christmas Day, if God has spoken to you this morning and you want to receive the greatest gift of all and that you will do it personally, meaningfully and punctually today, then please fill in one of our Connect cards. Take it to the prayer point. We've got a gift that will help you on your journey of faith. The best present that you could ever receive to the greatest invitation. God bless you.